This is episode 39 of Rife Good Scholar, all about witches. You're like, oh, won't tell me chestnuts? I'll kill your husband. <laughs> and like, however many other sailors are on board, like, calm down, ladies. But also, keep in mind, they summoned a storm to sink a ship. Ooh. Shakespeare was a smarty to make smart pants. This is Stephanie Crignola, host of Protest Too Much Podcast, and you're listening to Ripe Good Scholar. Welcome to Ripe Good Scholar with Sarah Plaskett. Sarah believes that in order to fully understand the relevance of Shakespeare's works in the 21st century, you must examine the history those plays have travelled through since Shakespeare wrote them. Ripe Good Scholar is the show that dives into the archives, theatres and museums to explore the historical evolution of Shakespeare's plays. Join us in examining when and why they were written in the first place, as well as how they have been utilised around the world since then, so that you can see for yourself how the plays continue to be as relevant today as they were in the 16th century. And now, here's Sarah. Hello, and welcome to Ripe Good Scholar, Spooky Edition. Since it's Halloween, let's explore a topic that would have been all too familiar to the Shakespearean audience, witches. King James, in particular, was very anti-witch and led some of the most brutal witch hunts in history. Today, Dr. Lisa Grogan and I are going to explore the history of witchcraft and witch hunts, specifically focusing on the time of King James. Lisa is familiar with the history of witchcraft because she identifies as a witch and follows the Wiccan religion. Join us as we explore what it was to be a witch and how the perception of witches changed over time. For this episode, we watched a documentary on the Malleus Maleficarum and the Pendleton Witch Trials and looked over King James's demonology. If you want to check out those and so much more, head over to ripegoodscholar.com EP39. Now, let's hunt some witches. Today, we are going to be talking about witches. For our Halloween special. It's been a minute since I've uploaded, but I wanted to come back with a bang in a, my Halloween special. We're going to focus primarily on witches during Shakespeare's time, which includes mostly King James, because he was the kooky pants witch hunter. <laughs> yes. Um, Elizabeth, oddly as a woman, not as not as worried about it. Not, not as concerned. Not as bothered. She was kind of bookended by witch hunters, though. Well... They were heretics, so Mary killed all the heretics. <laughs> Mary didn't just target witches. James did, though. It's always interesting to start with why King James was so cuckoo bananas when it came to witches. Because he wasn't always. And actually, I didn't even know this story until you told me like 10 minutes ago. It's a fascinating one. At the time, he was king of Scotland, not England yet. And he was getting married to a Danish noble. I don't know if she's princess, but anyway. They were married by proxy, which was pretty normal for the time. And then she tried to come over and had to turn back because of a horrible storm that came out of nowhere. And then she tried again, like... A month or two later, I guess, because everything moved slow then. Mm -hmm. And came into another storm. So James was kind of sick of this. He was like, what are y'all doing? This isn't that hard. Just sail across the sea. <laughs> so he was trying to sail across. I think he hit a storm, but he made it through. And then when they tried to come back together, they hit another storm <laughs> that forced them to turn around. So then the people of Denmark were like, hey, 
did you know about witches? <laughs> he was like, I do now. This seems like the work of witches. And he was like, tell me more. <laughs> and they were like, well, we're hunting ours down right now. And he's like, I'm going to do that in Scotland. <laughs> and he did a lot. So he actually started with the witches that would later confess under torture to bringing up the storm mm, okay, and trying to stop him from marrying his Danish princess. I don't know why these witches were apparently so bothered. Yeah, they were apparently just super pressed about the king's marriage. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like they had anything better to do. Well, I'm just imagining that like, in their minds, like, if it weren't for this Danish princess that, like, they'd be able to marry the king. <laughs> Obviously. It was interesting to me how then the witch hunt evolved. Mm -hmm. Because the, we have to remember, I think it's easy now for us to look and be like, really, guys? A lot of times when people confess under torture or pointed the finger at other people, it was like, we were at a Sabbath with the devil where we signed his book. Right. There was a very specific narrative. And I just like, y'all saw the devil? That's fun. <laughs> How's he doing? Yeah, a lot of it seems super ridiculous to us now, but I would also imagine that in like three or 400 years, some of the things that, you know, we think are ridiculous, or like that people will think are ridiculous that we, we take very seriously now. But I think that the fact that everyone kind of followed the same story points to the fact that this was just confession under torture because they were telling their torturers what they wanted to hear. Exactly. And I, and I think while I kind of said like, have you heard about witches? Like, they did know about witches. Like right, magic yeah. was a thing that just was, it. that's what we believe. Like that's just a fact of society. Right. Which it makes a lot of sense when you think about the amount of scientific advancement that has happened in the past, you know, four to 500 years. And so, you know, thinking about like an out of the way weather pattern, mm -hmm. we now understand the meteorological forces behind that, but back then they wouldn't have or eclipses or we, you know, retrogrades when the planets appear to move backward, thinking about those things that we can now explain scientifically. Yeah that they couldn't then. And also, this has always blown my mind. Humans didn't know about germs until like the late 1800s. Oh yeah. Especially not understanding germ theory. If you think about the way that, you know, human illness works and that kind of thing and how random that would seem that, you know, one person would get sick and another one wouldn't and... Things like that, you know, where like suddenly just all the crops in your farm die or like your cows kick the bucket, you know? And it, it can seem like, oh well, Clearly, this is someone cursing me. Right. We had a, a distinct narrative, especially at that time, of what was a good Christian. Yes. And so you'd have these people who are quote unquote good Christians having all their crops fail. So instead of it being like, clearly God's unhappy with me, it's like, oh, that weird neighbor down the street cursed me. Right. Well, and it all comes back to this phenomenon within psychology and the just world fallacy. Mm that as humans, we like to think that things are fair, that if you are good, good things will happen to you. And the flip side of that is that if bad things happen to you, you must be bad. I have a lot of issues with that narrative, oh, yeah. um, particularly when it comes to trauma. It's something that as humans, we like that because it makes the world make sense. We think if I am good, then bad things won't happen to me and that will protect me. We don't like to think bad things could just happen. I could do everything the right way and bad things could just happen. Yeah. The natural human thing is to blame people and especially when you could say, oh, 
that person down there is a witch and get them in trouble, that was even more satisfying. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I've been thinking of, it was an incident that kicked off what's known as the Pendleton Witch Trials, where it was it was a family of mostly women, it seemed. I don't think there was a father in the family, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't think so. I think you're right. One of the older daughters, they were beggars and this passing salesperson didn't give them any money or anything so she cursed him and he dropped dead it wasn't just like everybody's like she killed him like she legit believed she killed this man oh yeah and it's just like and i think it's hard for us today to get into that mindset of i just killed a dude (laughs) we tend to think that things that happen together in time are connected what i found most interesting about that is i think a lot of times we assume because the women accused obviously knew they weren't signing the devil's book or you know having weird little demon creatures coming to like suck their blood from their freckle on their knee i think we have to keep in mind that also few of these women these accused women and they were the vast majority women it was still real they just weren't one right there were witches there were definitely witches that's but they for sure, were not a witch but they weren't one and so to be that young girl that young woman and going like, oh my God, I just killed a dude Mm -hmm. with my words because that's how curses and magic work. I didn't mean to. It it gives a perspective into the mindset at the time. As humans, we like for things to be simple. And so we like to think that, you know, okay, witches fit into this particular box. Witches are in league with the devil, obviously, you know, that they, they do these horrible, terrible and awful things. And so if I do something that is consistent with what I know witches do, am I this horrible, terrible and awful person? And it kind of creates this like identity crisis. It's important to note that there were women who were engaging with what would probably be considered witchcraft, but it was for good. They were midwives. They were healers. They were, you know, even to an extent helping with, you know, they would make love potions or fertility potions. That was okay. Mm -hmm. These were often called cunning women, but it's a thin line between cunning women and witches. Yes. And that's why a lot of times you saw those women now being labeled as witches. You saw midwives getting labeled as witches. And one case that we're going to cover soon in November is that of uh, Eleanor Cobham, the Duchess of Gloucester. She was accused of using witchcraft to predict the death of the king, which eventually evolved into like she was trying to kill the king. It was all treason, you know. Ah. And Shakespeare, mostly accurate, (laughs) except like actual demons get summoned because that's how that works. But she, in her real trial, admitted to using love and fertility potions. And in the book I was reading, she's like, a lot of people think this was a fatal mistake on her part, but actually it was probably her best option because if she admitted to like, I did, but for these harmless reasons a lot of people you know got off with that it didn't matter she actually suffered one of the more severe punishments but anyway it's this idea that using these kind of potions it was less intense and you know queen elizabeth and other royals at the time had astrologers had quote-unquote doctors that you know were essentially doing the same thing there's a couple of things there that I think are important. One is context is so, so important, you know, to like, we kind of look back and think that 
any person, particularly a woman who, you know, used herbs or chanted words or did anything was immediately labeled a witch and was all bad. And their view at the time was more nuanced than that. They did look at intent behind it. And so then the other point that it brings up for me is the use of language. And this is something that came up for me in my spiritual journey. Um, so I do identify as a witch and I was not raised as one. And so what was interesting is that when I was starting to research this path, I found myself having a really big reaction to a lot of the words that were used, um, particularly words like spells. Um, that was a very uncomfortable word for me. Or, you know, the, even the word witchcraft, the word Wicca. These are very charged words. And this is me, you know, having been born in the late 20th century, you know, doing this in the 21st century and still having this stigma around these words. And eventually, you know, I, I kind of came to understand the meaning behind them that, you know, the the difference is, you know, the the action and the intent and, you know, that kind of thing that not all spells are evil and not everyone who identifies as a witch is evil. But we have this difference back then of the difference between a cunning woman versus a witch. And what's interesting, and I know that, you know, in, in other people with kind of a similar path, we've talked about, um, you know, people who kind of are witches, but don't know it. <laughs> and I think about, you know, people who, you know, kind of grew up and, you know, their families had these, you know, family remedies and this, you know, old wives tale. The action is the same, but the words that they use are not, you know, that a lot of these people would be very uncomfortable using the word, you know, witchcraft or spells to describe what they're doing, but they're essentially doing these, you know, unproven family remedies. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's what medicine was at the time. And I think also with that, it's important to note that this is around the time that the King James Bible mm. was written, which the King James Bible is the first Bible to include the translation, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. This translation of the Bible was written for King James, who was an avid witch hunter. And so a lot of scholars now who have studied, you know, Aramaic, Hebrew, you know, even Latin and Greek to an extent are looking at this and going, really, what what the word is in Hebrew doesn't translate mm. to English. We don't really have a word for it. And, you know, some people have said the closest they really get is like poisoner. I think that's where, again, we kind of get back into the language of it because, you know, for us, it's very clear Thou shall not suffer a witch to live, but when, you know, because using herbs and rituals and remedies is different than medicine. But back then it was not. And I think that's something that we have to remember when we're talking about this and when we're looking at the language behind words like witchcraft and spell. It was witch hunts that kicked off this charged language. So maybe... It's a little biased. A little bit. Yeah. Well, and what's what's kind of interesting is thinking about it in that way, because like I I am not a biblical scholar by any stretch of the imagination. And what? but realizing that the initial word was different and it almost makes me think of kind of like the like Dr. Death cases that go against like so much of our understanding, you know. And so I'm thinking about it in terms of that, that honestly that may have been 
at the heart of some of the animosity towards perceived witches is that they had these skills and this almost mission to help people and were turning those skills around to hurt people. Mm -hmm. This idea that a cunning woman, you know, was in possession of certain skills that could help people and would then like have an unfair advantage almost and turn them around to hurt people. Mm -hmm. It would have been very unsettling. So I think we see that a lot with how witchcraft is represented in Shakespeare and other art at the time, because, you know, as I touched on with Eleanor Cobham, like the demons are summoned. Like it's not the hypothetical she we found a little wax figure of the king and that's clearly them trying to kill him it's no there was hellfire and demons and that's what happened and we saw it and so we see it again with Joan of Arc mm, in Shakespeare yes. the portrayal of Joan of Arc in Shakespeare you have to remember she, she was not a saint in England no, no. The English did not see her quite the same way the French did. But how Shakespeare portrays it, there's kind of this back and forth, like, is she, you know, is she inspired by God or whatever? No one can quite figure out her powers. And then at the very end of the play, right before they light her on fire, she, like, actually summons demons to, like, come and talk to her. Mm -hmm. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, no, this was real. And I think, I think that while it's kind of easy for us to be like, okay, Shakespeare, that's what they thought happened mm -hmm. and to the point of like language and context i think joan of arc is also a good example of where we contextualized what was happening you know to the french she's a hero mm -hmm. whereas the english it was like clearly because we were the ones blessed by god obviously she was summoning the devil to turn the tides of the war against us. You kind of almost see both sides of that coin with Joan of Arc. I think that is that is so critical with with anything, you know, really is that it's all in how you look at it, you know, of is it, you know, is it good or is it bad? And I think also what's, you know, when we look back, because I mean, there, you know, there are still, you know, pockets of religious organizations today that, you know, take the Bible very literally. And I think that what puts it into context is having outside knowledge that was not available to people at the time. You know, this is a world obviously very far pre-internet, um, you know, rudimentary science. I mean, there's a lot of scientific advancements, but not, yeah. not what we have now, you know, and that communication was not what it is now and things like that. And so you have these, you know, much more insulated pockets and when you have insulated pockets of people that's where things can get out of control because there's not an outside perspective to balance things absolutely we cannot underestimate the importance of religion and the church it's still the anglican church it's still headed by king james and it's still full of king james supporters that are at the higher levels of the church that are preaching every sunday about the scary witches right and then you have the puritans which just made everything worse <laughs> i think we would be remiss to not talk about shakespeare's most famous witches yes the weird sister because they too also literally summon i think they literally summon hecate at one point <laughs> i was like dang girls what i find interesting about shakespeare's choice of play here with macbeth is that this was one of the earlier performances done for king james interesting and it's about 
Scottish history that he ties the ancestry of Banquo to James. But then we also have very witch-focused king. And so we found a Scottish history story that we tied back to his ancestors with witches and how witches corrupted the evil one that killed his ancestor. While it's a it's a cool story in and of itself, we have to remember that Shakespeare was trying to and successfully got the patronage of the king. You know, I know this is a, a theme that you, you know, touch on all, you know, pretty much every episode is that Shakespeare did what was popular. Shakespeare did what would sell. Shakespeare was not, you know, the the modern artist looking to shock the common people out of their ennui with life, you know? Yeah. No, he was trying to make money. I think even though, you know, Shakespeare did lift so much of Macbeth, you know, straight out, of Hollandshed, even the witches, knowing that it has this kind of tie that the person who killed the current king's, you know, ancestor. And again, we're still under a model where monarchs are divinely appointed, and so the idea of killing a, an ancestor to the king is is a big deal. A lot of the murderer's behavior was due to the influence of witchcraft. It's kind of a chicken and the egg of, you know, like, which came first, which made, you know, James hate witches more. Well, and I think what's interesting with the Weird Sisters is that while they do clearly cast, like, spells and curses, like I said, they literally summon Hecate, um, but also at the beginning when they're first like talking, you know, the, the famous lines, when shall we three meet again? They're cursing the sailor to sink his ship because his wife wouldn't sell one of the witch's chestnuts. That escalated quickly. Right? You're like, oh, won't sell me chestnuts? I'll kill your husband. <laughs> and like, however many other sailors are on board, like, calm down, ladies. But also keep in mind, they summoned a storm to sink a ship. Ooh. Shakespeare was a smarty who makes smart pants. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me with the Weird Sisters in terms of their relationship with Macbeth is they just kind of nudge him. They don't like cast a spell to curse him to like convince him to kill the king. You know, they're not like in his head. I mean, they're in, they get in his head with their prophecies, but that's it. They give him prophecies that are kind of vague enough that he's like, hmm. I should probably kill the king. Well, his wife is like, you should probably kill the king, though. Well, I wonder if some of that was almost to legitimize James's rule. Mm -hmm. James is said to be descended from this, you know, innocent who was murdered by this king who, you know, not only communed with witches, but really didn't need that much to do that. I mean, he yeah. was he was already halfway there. So, like, yeah. look at how evil he was that all they had to do was be like, maybe you should do this. And he did it. They didn't even say maybe you should do this. They just said someday you'll be king. And his wife was like, that means we kill him, right? Obviously. I think that when we contextualize the like the thoughts on witches at the time, it makes the portrayals of witches in Shakespeare make more sense because it's like I said, so easy for us to now be like, oh, sure, they summoned Hecate or, you know, sit there and be like, OK, Macbeth ran into witches and that's why he went on his murder spree, you know, but it's like one, not only was that in Shakespeare, that was literally in Hollandshed. Think it in can inform our opinions on just how real this was to people mm -hmm. and maybe help to understand the extreme reaction. Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to go to ripegoodscholar.com slash EP39 for even more information on witchcraft in Jacobean England. The show notes for every episode are filled with additional resources and facts that can help you further explore this topic. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It helps others find our podcast so our community of scholars can grow. Also, make sure you are on our mailing list to receive a free digital download and be kept up to date on everything going on over at Ripe Good Scholar. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Ripe Good Scholar to keep the Shakespeare fun going all day, every day. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. As always, the deepest dives and best discussions are happening after the show at ripegoodscholar.com. Join us over there to lend your perspective and engage with fellow scholars. We would love to hear from you. That's all for today. And remember, our court shall be a little academe, still and contemplative in living art.